I took a box of Dwight's stationery. So from time to time, I send Dwight faxes from himself, from the future. Dwight, at 8 a.m. today, someone poisons the coffee. Do not drink the coffee. More instructions will follow. Cordially, future Dwight. Welcome to the Boise Coffee Podcast, Episode 6. Today we're talking about the Keurig coffee machine, and this is actually the first of a two-parter. So next week you can expect to hear the second half of this installment. And on this podcast, we like to talk about coffee, pretty much everything having to do with coffee, brew methods, reviews, recipes. And uh, like I said, today we are talking about Keurig, the coffee machine, that has revolutionized coffee for better or for worse. And as you're going to find out relatively quickly, I am not a fan of Keurig. So today we're going to tackle two different aspects of the company as well as the product itself. Um, And then next week we're going to tackle two other ones. So the two that I want to talk about today are uh, the history of Keurig Green Mountain, as it's known now, then Keurig when it was first founded, Um, why it was founded, the situation around it, who founded it, those sorts of questions. And it reads very much like a narrative that you might expect out of like the social network almost, kind of a startup feel to it. The second aspect that I want to talk about has to do with the product itself. And we're going to get into the math regarding Keurig and why I believe it is not really what you want to pursue Uh, if you're looking for good coffee. I have the numbers to back it up, but I also have my own opinion. So I'm going to let you weigh it as you will, uh, because there certainly are some benefits to having a Keurig and using it. But I think what 90% of people use it for is to make poor coffee that is actually, as I will show you, more expensive than brewing great coffee at home. The first place I'd like to start is with a short history of Keurig and really to understand what makes up Keurig Green Mountain, which is what it's called today and more on that in a minute. To understand what makes it up, you really have to have some context on how it started. So so the early days of Keurig sort of read like a mixture between the social network and the first 30 minutes of Fight Club. Um, It was the mid-1980s, and this guy named John Sylvan found himself working at a low-level job drinking a lot of bad coffee. And finally, he reached a breaking point, and basically he said, there's got to be something better than just coffee sitting in a coffee pot getting burnt. So he quit his job in the early 90s and started experimenting with this new idea. And he referred to it as single-serving coffee brewed to perfection. So after quitting his job, Sylvan partnered with one of his old roommates from Colby College, and they started trying to overcome some of the hurdles associated with really making any type of coffee, but they were setting out to make the perfect cup of coffee. 
A couple of those hurdles were things like, how do you get enough pressure to properly brew coffee in the first place? And then another one, since they were looking for single serving, was how do you create a cup that could seal coffee grounds to make them fresh? This was a do-it-yourself project to the max. They were using jello containers and putting coffee inside of them in order to create the first primitive K-cup housing, as we would call it today. Um, They sealed it using a clothing iron, and these things could burst pretty much at any time. In fact, when they were on their way to meet with a possible investor for this idea, they had a whole package of these things burst in their suitcase, and as a result, they they were up all night creating new K-cups in their hotel room the night before pitching to this investor. That's how fragile these things were. So the, this is, we're talking about the early 90s here, and this is really when the coffee boom as we know it today was sort of beginning. This is when names like Starbucks were really rising to prominence, and in today's terms, this is what we refer to as the second wave of coffee. If you want to know more about waves of coffee, you can check out my second podcast episode where I talk about some of this stuff in detail. So at the time, coffee was a $40 billion industry. And everybody was pretty much rushing in to capture even a sliver of that because it could mean opening up the market even more and making millions, possibly. So Sylvan and his partner Dragon, what they quickly found out is that this was a lot easier said than done. They had a lot of financial troubles, and they did receive a lifeline of money from an investor, but uh, Peter Dragon, the, the partner, started having some personal problems with where the company was going. So he got forced out in 97 and John Sylvan actually decided to leave as well on more peaceful terms a few months later. I like to say if this was a movie, this is where we could cue the credits, right? This was sort of the end of the company. Both of the founding members are leaving. The idea wasn't really working. But as obviously we kind of know where the story goes or at least where it ends, uh, Keurig's days of financial success hadn't yet been fully realized. So between the years of 1998 and 2002, Keurig did two huge things. The first was they offered really good customer service. And the second thing is that they slowly created a more reliable product. So these these machines were pretty unstable at the beginning. But as the, what they found was that if they could personally go to offices, because that a majority of the market that Keurig was finding wanted these coffee machines were office places, workplaces. If they went and personally... Uh, showed up at an office where the machine was broken and fixed it or replaced it, then they would have a lifelong customer. So that's what they did. And then as they were able to figure out what, what was going wrong with these machines, they slowly were able to uh, you know, fix them before they went out and create a, a higher quality product that wouldn't break nearly as quickly. But the real breaking point, or rather the real building point for Keurig was in 2004. And that's when they really started focusing on a a new market for them, which was homebrewing. Black Friday of 2004 was probably one of the biggest successes for the company to date. Their priciest machines were actually outselling competitors because at this point, there were competitors in this market of single-serving coffee uh, brewers. But Black Friday 2004, they were outselling competitors like crazy. Um, And coffee companies were, were actually starting to take notice. So this one particular coffee company called Green Mountain was had been providing Keurig with coffee to fill their pods with for some time, but by 2006, they were confident enough in Keurig's success to completely buy out the company. So that's what they did. 
And between 2006 and 2010, Keurig became a household name. So by 2010, Keurig coffee machines were just as common in offices as they were in houses. And as a result, the sales of K-Cups, which are, of course, the single-serving coffee pods that John Sylvan and Peter Dragon had set out to make in the first place, these revolutionary products is what brought the company most of the money. It generated $1.2 billion in 2010, which was 88% of the company's revenues. So if this was a sequel to that first movie that we heard, we could cut to black here. They came out on top. Keurig won, right? That's sort of... That's sort of where we're going. But what you may not know is that Keurig actually had some big hurdles still ahead of them. So in 2012, the original K-Cup patents that John Sylvan and Peter Dragone had filed back when they founded the company expired. And you may not know exactly what this means, but for the company, it meant some really big changes had to be made. So when these patents expired, it meant that third-party producers, third-party competitors, could use the same Keurig K-Cup technology and build their own coffee pods and sell them completely without the Keurig branding, which means they didn't have to pay royalties, they didn't have to provide Keurig with any of their sales revenue. They could literally make money off of a product that they didn't even create. And Keurig really didn't like this. They hated it. It was cutting into their sales like crazy. Competitors were able to undercut them and sell these K-Cups at a heavily discounted rate. So Keurig was sort of floundering for a time. They Their first attempt at combating this was to come out with a brand new system with new patents that they called the, the VUE or the VU, V-U-E. And these systems did not sell nearly as well. They, they didn't catch on as far as like the public went. Um, they were decent systems in and of themselves, but because the infrastructure wasn't there, they were basically trying to redo exactly what they had done, and lightning often doesn't strike twice. So Keurig really struggled with this new product. They weren't able to push it out to as many consumers as they would like, so they started assessing some new avenues that they could go in order to salvage their original business model. So in mid-2014, and we're talking last year, Keurig 2.0 came out, and you probably saw this because it got a lot of bad press. Now, the, the thinking behind Keurig 2.0 was this. Okay, if we, can't, if we can't renew our patents, and if these patents are out for everybody, instead what we're going to do is we're going to create a form of DRM. This isn't exactly the right term for it, but it's the closest analogy I can draw. DRM stands for Digital Rights Management, and it's like what iTunes does with their songs, where originally back in the day when you bought an iTunes song, you couldn't play it on any other device. Uh, you could only play it on an iPod. And that was because they basically had some rights management software built into the music so that it wouldn't play on anything except for an Apple-approved device. And the same idea is what Keurig used in their 2.0 system. Basically, they built the, the same sorts of coffee pods that they had been making, but they included a barcode type of ring that the machine, which was built with scanners basically to read these rings, could tell whether or not it was a certified Keurig K-Cup. And this was met with a lot of bad press. People don't really like being forced into buying one product. And actually, especially among tech websites that typically don't like DRM, um, this was that's what they were calling this, was DRM of food, basically. Like, who is Keurig to say what we can and can't buy? Now we have to buy their product. 
So there were a couple things that really made this a bad decision for Keurig, and, and one of them was that you couldn't use old K-cups with the new machines. So there were, there were ton, tons of K-cups on the market already, both third-party and Keurig-approved, just without the barcodes, but now they were rolling out this whole new set of K-cups that you could use with the 2.0 systems. So there was like this confusion going on with consumers. Um, places like Walmart and Target would put the K-cups on sale, the old K-cups on sale. People would buy them, try to use them in their brand new systems, and it would come back saying like, error, you know, can't read barcode basically. And people were like, what the heck is this? I can't use the product that is built by the same company? Like, what? Am, then what am I paying for? So there was a, a lot of bad press, and Keurig sales began to suffer as a result. Now, I'd like to point out here that there was sort of a cool thing that Keurig was trying to do with this Keurig 2.0 system, which was they actually built into the rings that surrounded each individual K-cup or each individual type of K-cup. They built in what water temperature it should be brewed at and how long it should be brewed, how big the cup should be. Those types of settings were built into the barcode. So when you put the Keurig 2.0 K-cup inside of the machine, it would read it and it would adjust the settings of the machine accordingly. And then just as John Sylvan and Peter Dragon had set out to do, Supposedly, it would brew you the perfect cup of coffee for the coffee that you wanted to drink, which is sort of an interesting idea when you think about it. Um, but because of how it was perceived and honestly because of what Keurig was the underlying goal of what they were trying to achieve sort of was you know called out by many people, the bad press, in my opinion, was very much warranted. So to bring us into the present day of where Keurig is today, we can look at January 2015. This mysterious video hit YouTube. It was called Kill the K-Cup. And basically, it was an outrageous video that got a lot of attention, actually, mostly because it was mysterious. Nobody knew what group had put it out, and it kind of went viral. And what it depicted was a world where people were, you know, enjoying having a party or whatever, and all of a sudden, they, they hear a noise. It was filmed, you know, found footage style, something like Cloverfield, and um, they look outside and people are getting pegged with these K-cups and falling to the ground almost like they're getting hit with bullets. And then the camera pans to the sky and there's this huge Godzilla-like monster made of K-cups. And then there's UFOs that look like K-cups in the sky, kind of like ending the world. And it got a lot of attention, mostly because of the environmental concerns associated with Keurig. I'm not going to get into all the environmental stuff in this episode. I'm going to dedicate a large portion of the second part of this podcast episode to that next week. I do want to focus on this. This issue, Keurig 2.0, Keurig getting bad press, this has been ongoing, right? So 2014, 2.0 comes out, a lot of bad reviews, bad reviews on Amazon. Black Friday of 2014, by the way, did not go nearly as well. Fast forward then, January of 2015, this video hits the web and we get a whole nother round of bad press. Huffington Post did an article, NPR did a, uh, a piece the Atlantic did this really big piece called A Brewing Problem where they actually interviewed John Sylvan, one of the co-founders that I mentioned earlier. And the consensus of all of these articles is that regardless of if you own the product or not, nobody is happy about where K-Cups are at. If you actually read up about them, if you know the environmental impact, if you know the cost, and if you know about Keurig 2.0 specifically – then you are likely not a fan of Keurig. It's interesting to me because this isn't a problem. This isn't something where a product got some bad press and then, you know, whatever, 
couple months later goes away. You know, we see the bell curve, right? This is an ongoing, this is a trajectory, if you will. So that brings us to the present day. Keurig today is not what it used to be. It's still very much a company that is making billions of dollars. It's selling tons of their machines, even more of their K-Cups, but it's steadily starting to lose its hold on the market. Perhaps that's due to consumers knowing what they're buying now, being more aware of what goes into making a K-Cup and brewing a K-Cup and why it might not create as good of a cup of coffee. And maybe that's just due to the invisible hand of the market moving away from Keurig and towards third wave coffee, towards specialty coffee, or towards the next big thing. Who knows? So that is the history of Keurig up until the present day. The next thing that I want to talk about is the math. We're going to switch gears here completely away from Keurig as a narrative, and we're going to talk about it as a product. And I'm going to tell you why I don't think K-Cups, Keurig coffee machines make a good cup of coffee. I'm going to tell you why I think you shouldn't buy the product. You shouldn't drink the product. And if given the chance between brewing your own cup of coffee and buying a Keurig machine, you should choose the former every single time. So as with anything, when we're talking about math, it can be broken down into a couple different ways. So I'm going to show you a few ways that you can break down the cost of K-Cups versus the cost of cups of coffee that you brew at home. So first, I think we need to have some ground rules. All right, When I, t- when I talk about K-Cups, I'm talking about your typical individual serving Keurig K-Cup, not talking about third third-party brands or anything like that. If I say K-Carafe, it's referring to the newer, larger K-Cups that Keurig put out, and I just use it as a little bit of compare and contrast here in a minute. And when I talk about a cup of coffee, I'm going to talk about it in terms of recommended brewing amounts by specific companies. So as I get there, it's going to be more clear what I mean by that, but that's sort of a couple of the ground rules. So to start out with some numbers, the National Coffee Association 2010 put out that the average American drinks 3.1 9-ounce cups of coffee per day. That comes out to about 1,132 cups per year. A package of the new K-Craft cups that I mentioned a minute ago, and that's, by the way, those are in conjunction with Keurig 2.0, so they got the little, the little rings around them, contains eight packs. So each pack of K-Craft K-Cups brews about four cups of coffee each, which means that in one year, you'll need to buy about 36 packages to sate your coffee craving if you're the average American. All right, so you follow me so far. Eight packs, four cups of coffee in each K-Craft pack, which means you'll need 36 packages per year. An average K-Craft pack runs you for about $15, so that comes out to about $540 a year. All right, so using some averages here, you may not fit into that exact mold, but we have to make some assumptions when we're talking about numbers, right? The thing is, so that's $540 per year. The thing is, though, most people don't buy the K-Craft packages. It, it is a product that Keurig offers, but the most famous, of course, is the Keurig K-Cups, right? So let's talk about those. So K-Cups contain, a package of K-Cups contains about 24 individual servings depending on the brand, but when we're talking about Keurig-branded K-Cups, it's 24 individual servings, and it runs for about 18 bucks. So same statistics as before. We're talking about 3.1 9-ounce cups of coffee per day. That comes out to about 
or excuse me, 1,132 cups per year, that means that you'll need to buy about 48 packages of Keurig K-Cups over the course of a year. And that comes out to $864 per year. So it it is a better value to buy the K-Craft Cups, but most people don't have brewers that are compatible with them. Or if they do, they probably haven't bought the newest thing that Keurig offers, or one of the newest things that Keurig offers. They probably are buying the individual servings that Keurig is known for. And that comes out to about $864 per year. So to compare, we're going to use specialty coffee here. I love specialty coffee. I love manual coffee, third wave coffee. We're going to use one of the biggest names in specialty coffee, which is Intelligentsia. You're probably not going to find their beans at a supermarket, but there is a good chance that a local coffee shop near you brews them. And if not, you can always buy their product freshly roasted online from their website. So their standard house blend goes for $14 and it's a 12 ounce bag of coffee. And this is unground, right? It's whole bean coffee, 12 ounces. We're talking about home brewing here. If you're familiar with home brewing, you know that typically we don't talk about things in ounces. We like to convert that to grams. It's a little bit easier to do it. That way you can, when you're brewing, you can use a kitchen scale, which typically reads in grams and you don't have to change back and forth when you're talking about a liquid or a solid. You can do everything in grams. So we're going to convert that 12 ounce bag into grams and that comes out to 340.19 grams per package of beans. So each 12 ounce bag converts to 340.19 grams. And a method that I love to brew with is an AeroPress. AeroPress runs you for about 30 bucks online. It's a great way to brew coffee. It's super easy to learn. You can learn it in a day and you can be brewing a great cup of specialty coffee. So we're going to use an AeroPress brew recipe from Stumptown, which is another big player in specialty coffee. They recommend brewing with 17 grams of ground coffee per cup that you brew in an AeroPress. That gets you about nine ounces of a finished product. So if we take that 340.19 grams per package of Intelligentsia house blend beans and we divide it by 17 grams per cup of coffee, that comes out to about 20 cups that you can brew out of one package of beans. All right, so you follow me there? 20 cups, 20 cups of coffee, 20 cups of 9-ounce coffee brewed in an AeroPress per package, 12-ounce package, that you're going to buy from Intelligentsia. Now we're going to go back to our original statistics of an average American, and we're going to divide it out. So we take that 1,132 cups per year, we divide it by the 20 cups per package that we just found, and that comes out to about 57 packages over the course of a year of brewing. So 57 packages, that's 57 12-ounce bags of beans from Intelligentsia. We multiply that by $14 per bag, and that's $798 per year. We can compare those numbers, right? Intelligentsia, high quality, third wave coffee, $798 per year. And for Keurig K-Cups, a typical package, that's going to run you $864 per year. So yes, you are saving money. But if you're like me, I look at that. I look at the opportunity cost. If I wasn't really into specialty coffee, I would say 66 bucks a year saved brewing coffee manually may not be worth it for me. It's easier to brew in a Keurig machine. I don't think anybody's debating what's easier, right? All you have to do is push a button on a Keurig machine, you get a cup of coffee. Certainly, it does take some more time to brew in an AeroPress. Though I would argue that 
it is comparable if you actually kind of know what you're doing and know your way around the AeroPress. doesn't take long to brew. But still, point remains that yes, pushing a button is probably easier than brewing coffee the old-fashioned way. But when we're talking about Keurig, we have to look at things a little bit differently. They actually use this insanely clever trick to bring the price of their coffee down artificially. And this is going to get a little bit weird, all right? This is where the math starts to get a little bit interesting, and you're going to have to follow me on this. So here's something I didn't tell you earlier. A K-cup has about 10 grams of coffee in it, and it brews you about a 9-ounce cup. So 10 grams of coffee in a little cup, you put into a machine, hit a button, and you get about a 9-ounce cup of coffee. But Stumptown, in their brew method that I just read to you, recommends closer to 20 grams. We're going to go with that 17 grams number because it gives us a little bit more of a direct comparison. So as I get into this math, I just want to be clear, this isn't what the money that is directly coming out of your pocket, but it does represent how much money you're willing to spend by buying K-Cups. Because you're willing to buy coffee brewed 10 grams rather than 17 grams, this is effectively the, um, the amount of money that you're putting forward, though it's not coming out of your pocket. If that doesn't make sense to you, um, I understand, but what I'm trying to do here is show you that Keurig actually, this trick that they use actually gives you a poorer cup of coffee, a not as good cup of coffee, and it breaks some fundamental rules to brewing coffee to get there. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take that 10 grams that's in a Keurig K-cup that they use to brew a 9-ounce cup of coffee, and we're going to pretend that they actually use 17 grams instead. So let's pretend they decide to do it the right way and include 17 grams of coffee into their K-cups rather than 10. So right now, Keurig provides 24 K-cups per package, as I mentioned earlier, and that's with 10 grams of coffee per pod. So if they wanted to keep the same profit margin that they have, they would need to change how many K-cups they include in one pack. So if we use the current ratio, 17 grams of coffee per pod would mean that Keurig would only include just over 14 K-cups per package sold. So for the sake of math, we're going to keep it at 14. Even though the actual number is a little bit over 14, let's just call, call it 14. Again, we're assuming that K-Cups keeps the same 240 grams of coffee per box. In other words, they're not giving you more coffee. They are instead just lowering the amount of pods that they're providing in one package. And that again, that's to keep their margins the same. As far as how much money they are spending on coffee, um, that stays the same. So in order for that to stay the same, the amount of K-Cups per box has to go down. So instead of 24 10-gram coffee pods in one package of K-Cups, they are going to use 14 17-gram coffee pods. So the big change now is that you'll have to buy a lot more packages of K-Cups over the course of a year to meet that 1,132 cups that you drink, that the average American drinks over the course of a year. Actually, to put a number on that, you're going to need to purchase 81 packages of K-Cups total. And this comes out to $1,458 per year. $1,458 per year. We're talking about a realistic savings of $660 every single year by brewing coffee at home. Now, I realize that math, it's a little bit sketchy, it's a little bit weird, but what I'm showing you is that Keurig, in order to bring the price of their coffee down 
per cup, they include less coffee per package. They include less coffee per pod. What does this do? It gives you a weaker cup of coffee, right? In an AeroPress, we use 17 grams to get a 9-ounce cup of coffee. And in a K-cup, we're, getting, we're using 10 grams to make a 9-ounce cup of coffee. I'm not a chemist, but I know that 10 grams of coffee brewed with the same amount of water to get you a 9-ounce cup is going to make it for a weaker cup of coffee than 17 grams in that same 9 ounces. Okay, so that's the second way we can look at it, right? The first way was just directly comparing the prices. The second way was to talk about be a little bit more realistic and show you that Keurig is actually using this trick to artificially bring the price of their coffee down. The third way that I want to compare K-Cups to specialty coffee is in the price per pound. And this is the most cited way to compare coffee. In news coverage and in newspaper articles, this is oftentimes how reporters will compare K-Cups to normal coffee. I'm going to do it to specialty coffee but it's the price per pound of coffee contained in each package. So this math is a little bit easier to follow. Because of that, I'm going to bring the K-Craft pods back into the conversation to give you a third kind of compare and contrast. As I mentioned before, there's eight K-Craft pods per pack, and each pod can pump out up to four cups of coffee. So that means there's about 40 grams of coffee per K-Craft pod. 10 grams per cup, four cups per pod, 40 grams per K-Craft pod. That comes out to about 320 grams of coffee in each pack of K-Carafe cups. So we're going to convert grams to pounds in this case because we're talking about price per pound. That gives us 0.71 pounds selling for $15. And that's about $21.12 per pound. So let's do the same thing for K-Cups. We take 10 grams of coffee per pod, 24 pods in a pack, total of 240 grams of coffee per pack. Take that 240 grams, we convert it to pounds, that's 0.53 pounds, and that sells for $18. That means it's about $33.96 per pound. Finally, we're going to take Intelligentsia. That same 12-ounce bag of coffee, their house blend, converts to 0.75 pounds, and that sells for $14. That means it's $18.66 per pound. Right. So for specialty coffee, Intelligentsia, $18.66 per pound. For K-Carafe, K-Cups, $21.12 per pound. For K-Cups themselves, the original product, $33.96 per pound. That's wild. So not only are Keurig K-Cups including less coffee than is ideal to brew a 9-ounce cup of finished product, but they're actually charging more per pound for the coffee that they're selling you than you would pay for some of the best coffee that money can buy, some of the best coffee that's on the market right now, which is from Intelligentsia. So that concludes the math section of this podcast, all right? No matter what, how you break it down, you're saving money by drinking better coffee. That's what it comes down to, right? Intelligentsia, Stumptown, Ritual, these coffee shops are good for a reason. Good because they source their own beans right, using direct trade, they find their own beans, that enables them to bring the, their price associated with coffee down because they're doing it directly, no middleman that they have to pay, right, they're roasting coffee in-house, and they're providing it for a price that's, when you look at it, really quite affordable, right, so $14 per 12-ounce bag of coffee might sound like a little bit steep, but again, compare it to what you're doing if you buy a pack of K-Cups, Right, you're okay with paying $33.96 per pound of coffee 
but you're not okay with paying $18.66 per pound. It's all in how we frame these things. If we're talking about cups of coffee, price per cup, no matter how you break it down, it's cheaper to go with Intelligentsia, to go with Stumptown. All these specialty coffee shops have very comparable prices, by the way. This isn't, I didn't pick and choose Intelligentsia because it's super cheap or anything. It's actually pretty much right in the middle as far as prices go. It's a little bit on the expensive side, maybe, but I mean, you can do the same with Stumptown. Their house blend is the same thing. I think they call it their hair bl- hairbender blend. 12 ounces of coffee for 14 bucks. Same deal applies for them. I want to end with this. I get it. All right. If you, if you like K-Cups, I understand. You might not even like the way it tastes, but you drink it because it's easy. It's simple. You press a button, you get coffee. Another argument I've heard is that with uh, K-Cups, everybody can kind of pick their own cup of coffee that they want. So, you know, if I want something with cinnamon in it, I pick the cinnamon coffee. If my buddy just wants a black cup of coffee, they go with the donut, whatever they call it, the donut cup of coffee. Um, You can each sort of have your individualized cup of coffee. And so in a group of like eight people, it makes it really fast to brew coffee really quickly. So I, I understand the draw and I get that there are situations where it is easier and it is faster and perhaps it's even better for your lifestyle to go with K cups. But it most certainly is not cheaper. And that's what I wanted to show here is that you can break it down anyway. It's not cheaper to go with K cups, it's more expensive. Now, next week, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. We're going to talk about the environment and how K cups have been impacting the environment and what they have done, what Keurig has done or hasn't done to make that better, to make that situation more tolerable. But this week, price. That's what I'm focusing on, price. So no confusion here. Absolutely no room for doubt. It is more expensive to drink K-Cups, K-Carafe pods, any product from Keurig. It is more expensive to drink that than it is to buy some of the best coffee that is on the market today. So the best analogy that I can come up with for K-Cups is fast food. Nobody eats fast food because it's a nutritious part of their breakfast. We eat fast food because it's convenient. We eat it because we don't have enough food to make dinner, because we slept through our alarm, because of hundreds of other reasons. There's Nobody's going to compare a Big Mac to a home-cooked burger, and nobody's going to compare a McChicken to a club that you get from a gourmet food place, right? We're okay with eating fast food because we understand that even though it's not the healthiest thing for us, we're on the go, we just want to grab a bite to eat. But I'm not convinced that people understand that when it comes to Keurig, when it comes to K-Cups. I think a lot of people think that it's actually pretty good coffee and that it's around the same price that you would buy other coffee at. I would challenge you with this. If you're the type of person that defends Keurig as a part of your morning ritual, that's tantamount to saying that you'll take McDonald's over a home-cooked burger any day of the week. So if there's any takeaway from this podcast, it would be this. My hope for you is that you learn something, but also that if you are an everyday Keurig K-Cup consumer, that you might take another look at that and say, how much money am I actually spending on this stuff every year? How much money am I spending on it every month? I would challenge you that you're actually going to save more money, not only on brewing coffee at home, but on the equipment. It's Buying an AeroPress and buying a hot water kettle is a lot cheaper than buying one of the brand spanking new Keurig 2.0 systems. I guarantee it. And buying coffee, if even if you buy some of the best coffee on the market, 
it's still going to be cheaper than going with an average set of K-cups. So next week, like I said, talking about sustainability in the environment as it applies to Keurig K-cups. And um, hey, if you hated this podcast or you hated what I'm talking about, Keurig and how simple and easy it is, tweet at me. Let me know. Share your visceral reaction. Let me know why you think that I'm dumb, why you think that this idea is stupid. But if you agree with me, I would say this. Use the hashtag KillTheKCup. Shoot me a note. Let me know that you learned something. And, uh, and I'll send you some more resources that I've made. I, I wrote up a, uh, a short diatribe, as I like to call it, on Keurig, and it outlines all this stuff. Um, all the math is there for you to read. I know it's a little bit difficult listening to math equations, um, price per cup and price per pound and all this stuff over audio, but I do have it all written out in a pretty easy-to-read format on my blog. I can send you that link, so shoot me a tweet. Let me know. My Twitter handle, at Boise Coffee. That's where you can find me, boisecoffee.org. If you want to listen to other episodes of this podcast, uh, check me out on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. Hit the subscribe button. If you like what you hear, please leave me a review. And the last thing I'll leave you with is this. I am writing a book on coffee that I intend to to release by the end of the summer. It's basically the beginner's, I've titled it actually, The Beginner's Handbook to Excellent Coffee. And um, it outlines several of the things we've covered here. I do talk about Keurig in it, though not quite as in-depth as I've covered here. Um, But I also talk about ways that you can brew coffee at home um, that's more affordable, that's easier. And honestly, it's more fun than brewing with a coffee pot, just pushing a button. My hope is that you can learn something from it. Uh, If you want to learn more about the book, you can hit the book tab on my blog, boisecoffee.org. And if you put your name and email into the field at the bottom... Then uh, when the book launches, I'll actually give you a discount on it, which is pretty sweet. So until next time, keep drinking awesome coffee, and I hope you have a great rest of your week.